So session one last week, we opened up to Holy Spirit, and the title was, You Don't Know Spirit. Because really we found out that when we run around everywhere and say, Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, and we say all these things, we really don't even know what we're talking about. We're just saying things. And then people get confused because none of us say the same thing, right? Who grew up Holy Ghost? That was, that was what she said. That's Pentecostals, us. We were, it was Holy Ghost. I mean, I even remember like, it's not Holy Spirit, that's withheld. It's the Holy Ghost. And you had to have some growl in the voice. And then you have some people that know it's the Holy Spirit. And it's like, okay, cool. And then you some that, no, it's just the Spirit. And then you have some, it's the Comforter. And then you have, no, it's Jesus. No, it's Christ. No, it's Jesus Christ. No, it's God. It's, it's like, and the world's sitting out there and be like, y'all don't even know who you're talking about, I don't think. And while sometimes we may know the interchangeable lingo of all of it, they do not. So how do we expect to speak Spirit or life into someone if we don't know exactly how to convey it and they don't know either? And that's the position that we're in today. And we really talked about how we treat the Spirit of God like it is explicit. We treat it like it is something to be, shh, you can't say that and talk about that. Not all, y'all are all like, oh yes, in the world today, we don't know. I'm talking about in the church, people. I'm talking about in your daily lives. I'm talking about at your house. I'm talking about in your mind. Yeah, that counts too. Y'all didn't know those inner conversations that you have in your mind? Sorry, I think my watch is going off. I'm, Nope, that's not me. But I'm going to take it off anyways because I can't. I can't. We treat it explicit. We treat it like it's something to not talk about. And, shh, and that, it's, you're not old enough. And that's what we think about it. Now, I'm going to use a book out of my dad's real quick before some of you guys run off, okay? I am not saying go get you a 95-pound Bible which I have one like this big, and tuck it under your arm and say, I'm going to work today. This is my hammer. And like, what are you doing? And like, I'm studying. And I'm going to preach you the word of God. No, you're getting paid to work. If you do not work, you don't eat. That's called time theft, by the way, because you are there to do a job. Okay? So that's not what I'm talking about. If y'all think I'm talking about y'all running around with all your Christian t-shirts and all your Bibles and stuff like that, is that stuff bad? No, not at all. But if you're on the clock, okay, I'm just balancing it because us in America, we're like, hum, hum, hum. we cannot just keep it equilibrium here, okay? That is not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about and as every action, everything you do, as you're actually going to do the very job you're going to do, it becomes an act of worship. And I know that may sound confusing, but instead of hitting my, you know, yesterday I was working and I, or actually it was, it was Friday, and I was trying to put, a, a, I, I do electrical work a lot of times, and I was, I was having a, a wire, I was running up a stud, okay, if you don't know that, that's the wood parts inside the wall, and I had to put the little staple to hold the nail down. Who's ever had to do something like that, where you got like a wire, you got the staple. They make cool guns, but uh, I'm broke, so I don't have one. I have a hammer and a, and a thing, and I was going to hit it, and I went, bunk, and I said, spirits, and it just, and how, you're saying, well, are you saying that the things, no, 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 now listen, and I realized in that moment, and y'all may think this is a bad example, but it's my example, so hush, in that moment, I really felt like God said, even in these times of hurt and pain in the natural, the simple, simple little thing like that, how do you start to speak spirit into this situation, now I'm not saying, oh, I'm healed, oh, I'm healed, and hit my thumb, that's stupidity, okay, keep it in balance, but he began to show me that this is what it means to make it an act of worship, that in every situation, every action, before you even speak, you've considered God. I know that's a tall order, and none of us, okay? I'm not standing up here saying, I got it. I'm like on the ground, and y'all may be up here, okay? 
I'm not saying I got it, but I'm saying it's every consideration because that is what the Spirit is. And so we define the Spirit in week one. We defined it in the Greek and the Hebrew. If you're not aware, the Old Testament is in Hebrew primarily, and the New Testament is in Greek, two different languages. The reason that you need to know that is because, just like I said when I was in Pakistan, there are translation things. I said something whenever I was talking, and then he said, what do you mean? And I was like, I don't know what I mean. How do I describe to you what I'm trying to say? And even in that moment, I realized there's, so, there's communication barriers, and just like when we read Scripture sometimes, we read it and we get the broad strokes, but sometimes there's un, deeper understanding meaning. And the word in Greek and in Hebrew is the same meaning. It doesn't have any translation lost until we get to English, because when I say spirit, most of y'all think, ooh. Or Casper the Friendly Ghost. Maybe your Holy Spirit's more friendly, and maybe he's Jason. I don't know what it is to you. But when we say spirit, that's a lot of times what you think. But the word spirit has nothing to do with that. The word spirit means breath. Everybody go. Now take a deep breath in. You feel that? But do you feel that, like, that vitality that comes from it, right? You know? And that's what it means. It means breath. It means life. You don't know why they use that to describe God? Is because you don't even have to think about breathing. You, you don't have to be taught breathing, okay? Babies are not born, and mom and daddy are like, hey, listen, that's what we do to mom when she's having the baby, okay? We don't have to teach the baby how to breathe. It's voluntary. It just it happens. And what they were trying to show us was that that is what the Spirit of God must be like in our lives. It must be something that is just, it's like, it's not second nature, it's first nature. It just happens for us. And he said, that's what it should be. It's not always what it is, most definitely but what it should be. It's an ever ingrained part of us. We looked at Genesis when man was created in chapter two, verse seven, where it says, and God blew the breath of life into man. So we see that the Holy Spirit is not just New Testament. It didn't just happen. It was something from the very beginning. And Christ's role where the New Testament comes into play was he restored that relationship for us to the Holy Spirit. Now that was all week one. I like, yeah, I mean, started talking on this week. Don't worry. I only got one scripture. It's just two chapters full. <laughs> but here's what we defined when we said spirit. We looked at all the Greek and the Hebrew and all that's well and good. But we said, okay, what does that mean for us? What does that mean tomorrow morning when you wake up? How do we understand spirit? And this is kind of how we defined it. It's our working definition. You know what a working definition is? It means it's going to change over time because guess what? There's no way on God's green earth that any of us could ever understand the fullness of who God is, of who the person of Christ was, of who the Holy Spirit is. And the second that someone says, oh, I know the Holy Spirit. No, you know like a bit. Remember your flatland? Y'all remember last week, flatland? We talked about flatland. No. Okay, now we're getting yes. I am going to do it on the live. I'm going to make me a little flannel board, and I'm going to go to town with my flat people. But that's, we'll never understand the entirety of it until we reach eternity. We'll only understand pieces of it. That doesn't mean we don't continually seek to understand more. It just means understand, stay humble. Okay? Now, here's what we defined it as. When we say Holy Spirit, the Spirit is the expression or the influence of God on earth or in man. Okay? Let me say that again. It's the expression or the influence of God himself in this earth, in the natural realm, whether that be through people, whether that be through things on the earth. Let me give you a little hint. When we say a miracle, like a healing in someone's body, that is the expression of the Holy Spirit of God 
acting itself out within the natural body. When we see things like we see in the Old Testament and in the New Testament and things of that nature, and even in today's time here and there where we see these great, just like, okay, Moses and the Red Sea's part. Uh, and it's actually Reed Sea, but we'll leave all that alone anyways. But, but, but when that, that happens, that was the expression of the Spirit of God in the natural world. Do you want to know why it responds that way? It's because whenever the Spirit of God, just like that song, when the Spirit of God is activated, things are set back to the way they were originally created to be, which is in Genesis. That's in chapter 1, 2, and 3. Love it. And there we see the Garden of Eden. So when the Spirit of God becomes active in something, it sets it. It's like the reset button. Don't you all wish, like, life, I wish life had the reset button. Who would go back before kids? They're not in here. You can raise your hand. (laughs) (laughs) Only one brave enough. Like, oh, my kid's in here. Uh, No. (laughs) But, but it's like the reset. When the Spirit of God becomes present, we become aware of it. It's like, boom, right back to the way he meant it to be. That is what the Spirit is, the expression or the influence of God here. And Christ is who paved the way. We talked about all of that last week. Now this week we're moving on to who the Spirit is. God is the Spirit. We're going to look at two particular verses in one particular story here. So what I want to do is I want to, I'm going to move this because it keeps going, because I messed it up. Maybe that'll help it or make it worse. We'll see. I want to look at this, and I'm going to give you some information, some backstory, okay? My favorite thing is backstory in a movie or a show. Y'all ever, I hate it when they're just like, boop, boop, and you're supposed to know who these people are. You ever got to the end of one of those movies, and you're like, I don't even know that person's name. Like, did you ever even say their name? So that's why I love Lord of the Rings, because it was like, long ago, there were rings forged in the age of the, and it's like, oh, yes. I got to give you that, okay? Because otherwise you're going to miss everything Jesus is saying right here, okay? You're going to be like, oh, yeah, Jesus said that. Isn't it great? Yay. And then, no, you missed it, okay? So that was my cheerleader. That was the best I could do, okay? Let's look at John 4, 24. This is the, the like, antithesis. This is, not, this is the precipice, really. Antithesis is the reverse of that. This is the precipice of what we're going to talk about this morning is this particular verse. And then I'm going to give you all the backstory of how we got to this point of Jesus saying this. And this, in my opinion, is one of the most powerful things that we can understand in Scripture because it is like the blueprint to me of understanding what it even means to say, I believe, or to say, Holy Spirit. This one verse. I mean, if you guys don't know, Jesus was quite smart. He was a genius. Okay, so he chose his words carefully, and the people who recorded it chose it carefully as well, and the people who translated it chose words carefully as well. Okay, this wasn't just like, you know, looks good. You think Jesus would say that? I think so. No, it was utmost care taken to write this down. So let's read it. Are you ready? This is John chapter 4, verse 24, and this is what Jesus is speaking right here. And he says, God is... Now, in some of your translations, it says a spirit, like God is a spirit, right? But that is not the case. Sorry, it is going, is it doing that to y'all or is that just me? Okay, well then I'll just try to ignore it. Okay. (laughs) God is spirit. The actual translation just says God's spirit. We added the is a spirit and all that stuff. It is. God is spirit. Now, there are about five other verses that this exact phrasing is also mentioned, where it does not put the a spirit or something like that. It says, he is spirit. 
Here's Jesus saying, God is breath. He is life itself, okay? And he says, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. This is huge, guys, okay? I think a lot of us are, right now are like, okay, so, you know, you worship God, you know, with your spirit. Who's ever heard that? You worship God with your spirit. True. But if we stopped it there, that would be called faith without works, okay? Because it takes some physical action behind it. And then we say truth. Now, in this day and age especially, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, trigger warning here. Uh, truth is not relative, okay? Personal truth, not a real thing, okay? That's just called your perception. And right now in this room, uh, I don't even know why I'm on this, JR, but right now in this room, all of us have a different perspective, right? Sharon, can you see, you know, my iPad? No. Does that mean my iPad is not there? Yeah, it's still there. Just making sure God didn't play a trick and be like, Boop, you know, or something like that. It's still there. Jeremy, can you see my belt? It's still there, I hope. Yes. Right? Truth is absolute. And when we treat something of truth as relative, you will always miss the Spirit of God. Now, I'm going to define all that for you in a minute, and you'll understand why that's important. So Now, let's get to how did Jesus even get to saying this, and then we'll define. We're going to define three core words today, worship, spirit, and truth. We're going to define those three words and understand what, when we read it in text, what it really means, and then we'll be wrapped up. But let me tell you this story of how Jesus got to this point, and then I'll define those words for you. Does that sound good? Sounds good to me. Okay. If you back up, this is the story of, anybody know? Y'all got to go back and study. The woman at the well where Jesus goes and speaks to her, okay? And it's like, oh, yes, this is one of our ones where we say, see, he, leave the he left the 99, because if you read right before it, he was speaking to the multitudes, and then he went to this place, and it says that as he was journeying, he was tired, okay? He was tired, he was thirsty, so he sat down at the well, and then this woman came. And we like to just leave it at that and be like, oh, see, he went to the person. But we got to look at the person that he went to. We got to look at what was happening in that day and age, because this is about to blow your ever-loving mind. And if it doesn't, I'll come pray for you, and then it will, okay? <laughs> Here's what it is right here. Jesus was walking, and he stopped at this well, and it says this Samaritan woman came. Now, a lot of you guys, because we don't fully understand this, you guys think Samaritan was like just someone from another country. It's not even a different country. Did you guys know that? We're not talking about Sumeria. We're talking about a Samaritan. It's different. Samaritans and Jews are the same people. Did you know that? They actually came from the same genealogy and everything. They're all the children of Israel. But what happened during some time of captivity, many, many, many years before Christ, about a couple hundred years, give or take, they, parts of the Jews were taken into captivity in Babylon, and parts were not. And when they restored themselves back together, they had two different belief systems. Because as they were in Babylon for like 70 years, they kind of adopted some of the ways the Babylonians worshipped. They were kind of like, you know, this is cool. Like, kind of like that thing there and, and this thing there. And they shifted and changed. And then those that didn't go to Babylon didn't shift and change. They kind of stuck with, with it. So what you had was these two same people with two completely different viewpoints on. They, didn't, they, they kind of agreed the same God, but they kind of disagreed on basically everything else. 
They like disagreed on where you worship. Like, no, because the Jews built it where the, the Temple Mount is, and then, and then the Samaritans built it on another mountain because they said, no, this was where Jacob defeated Canaan, so this is where they we're supposed to worship. And they argued about that. They argued about everything. I mean, you could see this in even our day and age. Two people, same society, argue about everything. That is basically what it was, okay? But Jesus, so Samaritan and Jews, Jesus is a Jew, she's Samaritan. They don't talk to each other. They do not have dealings with each other. Do you know they actually didn't even shop at the same places? It'd be like they, COVID place, non-COVID place. Like, like just no one shops together. You don't speak to each other, nothing. You have nothing to do with each other, but yet you live basically in the same general area. This is the, is the diversion and the separation between the Samaritans and the Jews. And Jesus was a rebel. And I... I think I'm like Jesus. I like to go boop <laughs> and see what happens. Because Jesus didn't even care, and he's like, Samaritan woman. He starts talking to her. Now, there's a whole other layer of this, which we don't even understand, which is you don't talk to, in that culture, in that day, a man doesn't talk to a woman if it's not his wife in public. Doesn't happen. Ever. Like, so any story in Scripture, just going to give you a little history, any story in Scripture where it's like, and the woman said and stuff like that, that lets you know it's truth because that would have been considered embarrassing at the time to say a woman said something. So like the whole Resurrection Sunday message, I know you're like, Easter was last Sunday, why are you talking about it? Let me tell you this real quick. This hit me on Easter, and I didn't, I should have, I wish I should do Facebook because if I did, everybody would probably hate me, but... Resurrection is not a one-day thing. It's an everyday lifestyle change, okay? We treat resurrection like he did it one time. No, pick up your cross and follow me. Crucify yourself daily, which means the next day you resurrect as the Spirit of God in you. That didn't excite y'all? Okay. So, when we look at this, when we see that on Resurrection Sunday, and it says the women came and told if they were fabricating this, this is just some historical evidence for you. If they were fabricating it, they would have said, well, let's just make like Peter or Paul, because that would have made, you know, and, you know, helped it, you know. So let's change the story. But they didn't. They kept it the same. And Jesus didn't care either, because he says, oh, wait, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. There is neither Greek nor Gentile, no, no man nor woman. There's none of that in the Spirit of God. It is all, we are all one with the Spirit of God. He says, none of that matters. I'm going to push it all to the side. And so Jesus was like, I don't care. So he sits down and he begins to speak to this woman. And they begin to talk and, and he asks her for a drink. Okay, I'm paraphrasing the chapter before because if I read it all, I'd get caught up and just, and y'all really wouldn't follow me then. So he says, hey, can I have a drink? And she says, why are you talking to me? She said, like, you shouldn't be speaking to me. And then she says, why didn't you bring something to get, you know, something from the well? You know, you don't have anything. He said, hey. Well, right before that, he actually says, hey, if you knew who was sitting in front of you right now, you would have asked me for some living water. Right, that's paraphrased, but that's what he said, okay? And he said it with the hand gesture, too, okay? <laughs> I get a little attitude sometimes. I hang around Alvy too much. <laughs> but he says, if you even knew who was sitting in front of you, you would have been the one asking me for living water. And she says, how is that? You don't have a way to get water. He's like, eh, no, no, I'm not talking about natural water. And that's just like us. God is constantly trying to speak to us, spirit, and we're just looking at it in the natural and being like, no, God, you don't understand. That's what I see. And he's like, that's perspective. That's not truth. Here's truth over here. 
That's why your perspective is paramount to understand, to shift it, to become God's perspective, because you will always look at the natural, the temporal, the things that disappear, and every time, every other day, every moment of every day, God changes for you. You say he doesn't, but he changes for you. If he provided yesterday, he'll provide today. If he was loved yesterday, he's loved today. Some of you guys mess up and do something and you think that God no longer loves you. And then the last time I checked, God's love is eternal. It is beyond everything. So thus it didn't change. The only changes was you said, this isn't, doesn't look right anymore. And you stepped over here and said, that looks right. Wrong perspective. This is by definition, I won't go into this. This is righteousness over here. Looking in God's perspective, the word righteousness means in right standing with. So same perception. I see it the way he sees it. I look at it the way he looks at it. I think about it the way he thinks about it. So this is Jesus looking at this woman, talking to her. And then he says this. We actually are going to read a little bit of it because I, I want you to hear some of this, okay? So after he says, I'll give you living water, <laughs> this is one of my favorite parts. Jesus is kind of savage about this too, guys. <laughs> In verse 15, uh, John 4, 15, it says, And the woman said unto him, Sir, give me this water. She's like, all right, show me what you're talking about. And so I won't thirst anymore. Come and draw it. And Jesus said, go call your husband and, and come. He's like, we're going to do this. Everybody's coming. And this is what she said. She said, I have no husband. And this is where Jesus just gets straight up like, he, he, this is prophetic at the same time. It's like a word of knowledge, prophetic, where Jesus, and he's like, I'm just going to show you who I am real quick. And this is what he says. He says, you have no husband. And Jesus said, well said, you have no husband. You've had five. And the one that you're with now ain't your husband. Imagine on Sunday, <laughs> just for a second. <laughs> Like, we're praying for somebody. If they're like, I want the living water. I'm like, okay, like, go get your family or your husband or, or your wife. And, and you know, it's, it's kind of like this. You know, like, come here, come here, come here. Be kind of like this and be like, okay, and, uh, I, don't, I don't have a wife. He's like, yeah, no, you don't. Or a husband. You got tons of them. And the one you're sitting in church with right now ain't even your wife. And everybody's like, he said that was his wife. <laughs> Sit down now. That's how gospel turns into gossip real quick. <laughs> But look at, God, we miss so much sometimes. Look at how Jesus handled it. He didn't go get everybody and say, guys, it was between him and her. He gave the spirit the understanding and said, now do you know who I am? Because the spirit just showed me something that no one else would know. And he didn't go and blab it everywhere. He said, hey, this is between you and God, and I'll help set it right right here. Look at how Jesus does it. The other thing he does, by the way, she would have been considered in our day and age kind of the undesirables of it. She wasn't within his culture. didn't make sense that he even talked to her. He was breaking rules to get to her and everything like that. And then on top of that, he treated her with love and compassion, even though he was kind of, hey, it's tough love here. I, I got to set something straight. But at the same time, he did it with love and compassion. And see, we don't read any of that into the text. All we do is say, and he said this, great. And it's like fairy tale land for you. And Rapunzel let down her hair, and, and it's over. And it's like, do you see the character of who Jesus was? And that is what we're supposed to emulate. Okay, let's keep going. And so here's where, here's where Jesus says, he says, uh, and listen to the woman's response. I kind of like the way the King James puts it here. And it says, and the woman said, sir, I perceive thou art a prophet. Uh, no spirit, Sherlock. You don't get that out of what he just said. She says, oh, I perceive. And Jesus is like, I told you. And this is where it gets awesome right here. It's, and, and, and so 
Our fathers worshiped, this is the woman speaking, our fathers worshiped in this mountain and you say in Jerusalem. This is, remember what I told you about the two mountains? She's saying, hey, hey, even though I just saw this expression and all of that, we still argue about all the others. So she's trying to kind of change the subject and kind of say, we argue about this and that and what's right. Is tongues right? Is tongues not right? Is there healing? Is there not healing? Is there this? Is there that? Did you put explicits on the sign or not? And all these different things are arguing about it. She's trying to change the subject. And Jesus says this, woman, woman. <laughs> I just thought about an argument with my wife. No. Uh, <laughs> and Jesus said, woman, believe me, the hour has come. When you shall neither worship in this one nor in Jerusalem, but you'll worship the Father. You worship and you don't know or you know not what. We worship and we know. For salvation is of the Jews. Now, all that stuff is the stuff I'm breaking apart later. I, I can't get, get there because i got something else to say here. And then here's where Jesus says, he says, But the hour comes, and now is that time. Everybody say now. now. Some of y'all are waiting for a pie in the sky and a sweet by and by to experience the Spirit of God. Because you think it's when we all get to heaven, to heaven, to heaven heaven when we all get to heaven happier we'll be and while that may be true the spirit of god is for here is for now is for every aspect of your life and we treat it like it's a far off thing and jesus sets the record straight and says no that hour i was talking about is right now just like the hour we're talking about is 10 not 11 ryan and jennifer you dig, had to. <laughs> but he says, he says, it's right now. Now, Jesus is showing them before he's even crucified that it's right now. We read last week where he says, you being evil know how to get good gifts. How much more does your heavenly father know how to give? He says, if any man asks for the Holy Spirit, God will give it. Now, he says, now is. Now, here's where it gets big right here. And this is where I'm going to define these words, and then we'll wrap it up. And now is that time when true worshipers, say true worshipers, true shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such to worship him. And then that's where we read verse 24. God is spirit, and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, when I say true worshipers, a lot of y'all mean, like, the right amount of hand raising. And I'm going to be a little savage here for you guys. I grew up in church, okay? And it, love you, Mom, Dad. I'm not bashing anybody. Everybody say, Jared loves everybody. Those who he doesn't, he's learning to, okay? <laughs> I am not bashing anything. I believe the Spirit is trying to open our eyes and understanding because I always heard the analogy of a true worshiper was the person that sang as loud as I sing. Y'all, I know, I'm sorry, by the way, all the back row people while I'm walking around, I'm like singing and Caleb's like, you're loud. I'm like, sorry. But that, we're like, oh, they're such a worshiper. And what do we mean? Now, are any of those actions wrong? No, not at all. 
The word worship literally means to bow down, okay? But we define a true worshiper as those who we can see the most expression of. And we say, that's, that's true worship. You know, that Jerry over there, he just kind of stands there. I don't think he even knows the Spirit of God if it hit him in the face. But no man knows the intents of the heart. Only God. God could be working on that heart. We cannot judge people's modes of worship. We did a whole series about acts of worship and showing how God moves in various and different ways and all this kind of stuff. Now, right here, it says true worship. And I want to define this word true because this is something else we're going to get to. In John chapter 16, uh, we're going to read that. This is where Jesus is literally telling everyone what the Spirit's going to do. Like he's literally saying, hey, this comforter that's coming, here's all the things it's about to do. And he lists it out in John chapter 16. We're going to study that on Tuesday. And when he lists it out, the very thing that he listed happened to me when I read this. At midnight last night, after being on the call with Pakistan, I'm like, okay, now, new message. And I'm like, okay, reading through this. And I was like, what is true? Because I, I, I did it, guys. The very thing, I'm like, don't ever do this. Just take the word for granted because you think you know what true means. I know what true means. I've read it a thousand times. I've defined it a thousand times. In the scripture, I know it means that which is true, no matter what is at, in view, right? It's always true, right? It's absolute. It's like, cool, I know it. But I was like, ah, let me, let me dig a little deeper. And Jesus says that the Spirit's going to convict, Every single one of us. Now, what some of you heard when I say convict is condemn. Two different things. Okay? Condemnation is the best way to put it. Condemnation is when I tell you something. Conviction is when the Spirit does it without any man being present. It doesn't always feel good. I'll let you know that right up front. I have honestly never had conviction felt good. So if you ever do, you're a glutton for punishment. Uh, but I've never, it never necessarily feels the greatest. But yet there's an odd sense of freedom and release and, and truly gratitude to say, oh, I get it. And that's what happened to me whenever I read this. And so I'm preparing your hearts because do not take this as me condemning you because I don't know your heart. So I'm not putting this on anyone. I'm sharing you with what happened to me whenever I read this. And it was this right here. I defined the word true, and I looked it up, okay? So I'm going to read it verbatim. In chapter, 20, uh, ch chapter 4, verse 23, when true worshipers, the word true here means that which has not only the name or resemblance of, but the real nature corresponding to that name in every respect corresponding to the idea signified by the name itself, real, true, genuine, the opposite of fictitious, imaginary, simulated, pretend, contrasting the realities. And this was my favorite one. Opposed to that which is frail and uncertain. I'm going to read all that again. A little bit, oh, sorry. I always get that. Like, you're talking too fast. Just go on YouTube and hit the slow down button. And then <laughs> that's how you can get it. Let me, let me read it a little bit slower for you. Here's the definition. True worshipers. So worshipers, that not only in the name and resemblance of, but the real nature corresponding 
to that name, worshipers. In every respect, corresponding to the idea significance by the name worshiper. Real, genuine. Opposite of that which is fictitious, imaginary, simulated, pretend, opposed to frail and uncertain things. So when Jesus says, a true worshiper, he says, a worshiper that is not frail, a worshiper that's not pretend, that's not, you're not imagining things. When the Spirit of God hits you, and however it comes out in that expression, whether it's crying, whether it's, whether it's whatever it is, whether it's bowing, he says, that's not imaginary. And it's actually the exact opposite of those things. It's real, it's tangible. And the thing that gave is not just by the name itself or resemblance. Everybody put your hands up. I'm using this act of worship because it's one that we can understand. What is the difference of this and us doing the wave at a football game? It's the same act. It has everything to do with the heart not being fictitious, not just being the name itself. And when I read that, I felt like, because the next part, I may have to get that to let it connect for you, but when I read that in view of I must worship him in spirit and in truth, I saw myself personally as a person who worships when it felt right. It was dependent on things. Now, I'm talking about myself here, so I'll throw myself under the bus. Y'all bus drivers, go ahead, drive over. I felt like conviction of the sense that, God, I'm, I'm not constant in every respect, like it said, corresponding to that name, a true worshiper. Not constant in it at all. Matter of fact, if y'all don't know I have a wife, that means we argue. That was God's joke. Put two polar opposite things together and say, become one, and then argue about which one you're going to become. <laughs> and in those arguments, and in sitting there, and I'll argue with my wife on a Saturday night, y'all are like, if the pastor argues, yeah, I normally lose. Yesterday, everybody was here, though. I won several times. <laughs> Some of those pictures, I picked it. But when I'd argue, and then I'd be like, oh, let's get this over with. All right, everybody. They're like, he's got up. Yeah. Because then I realized God said, true worship. Not just the lifting of the hands. If you want to lift your hands, lift your hands. If you don't, don't, don't. It doesn't matter. But in that heart, being consistent in every respect, taking into observation the Holy Spirit. I loved when it said, not just by the name itself, because who are we worshiping? The Father, the Holy Spirit, the dedicated, set apart, breath and life. And he says, not just, not just worshiping it when it's convenient. Like I said, this was for me, not you guys. But frail and uncertain. And I realized for me, my worship sometimes, probably more often than not, is frail and uncertain. I worship not, and, 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 and let me clarify this. I'm not talking about because we are frail and uncertain. I'm talking about the worship we give. You can be frail and uncertain. That's what we have. He is our strength, not your strength. But I worship from a place of 
frailty and uncertainty in my worship is kind of, it can be fractured very easily. I'm a musician, so for me, when we're in music fracturing, mine is, brent wrong note, the sound's not right. It's frail. It's like my wife's been watching this pottery show. Y'all know which one I'm talking about? It's on Netflix. And they, it's basically the same thing as all the baking shows. Now they're just like, let's pick pottery because people will watch anything. And so she's watching people make these pots and stuff like that. And I watch these. It's so frail when they have to do it and they have to care for it. And they've got to put it in. The, it's got to be perfect conditions. Otherwise, it cracks. You know that? Like they take the, the vase, the vase, and they stick it in the, the drying room. And it has to sit there for 24 hours. And someone watches and makes sure the temperature's got to be right. That's frail worship. If we have to have the lights right and the temperature right, and we've got to feel good, and we've got to get our mindset right, and we've got to do all this, you know what? That is frail worship. And God says, I need true worshipers.